This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hi, and good afternoon. This is Sterling Shea from the Barron's Wealth and Asset Management Group, and I want to thank you for listening in for this week's installment of The Way Forward, which is week seven of our weekly newsletter and advisor podcast. We've got a great guest for us today, uh, Jeff Concepcion is CEO and founder of Stratos Wealth Partners, which is an RIA firm based in Ohio, managing upwards of $14 billion in client assets. Last year ranked on our list of the top, one of the top 50 U.S. RIA firms. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, buddy. It's good to be with you today. Uh, good to hear your voice. Tell us, you know, since this uh, work from home setup began, how is, how's your situation going personally? It's been interesting, and I would say that we were relatively pleased with the way we were able to take something approaching 750 bodies uh, who are accustomed to working in you know, 100-ish offices around the country remote. Uh, we do have a fairly large IT staff, uh, and most of the advisors made that transition without a tremendous amount of disruption, but we've definitely had some learnings along the way, and we're actually interacting differently, not only with our advisors, but even with end clients over the last couple months. Yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. What What's different about that interaction? What do you, what's turned out differently than you might have thought that it would? So I think historically, Sterling, our advisors have leveraged us from a mid-office and back-office standpoint, but they haven't directly involved us in the client relationship. And I reached out to probably north of 100 of our top advisors uh, in the early week or two that all this was starting. And what we found out was that the one-to-many or few-to-many, as these advisors and their teams were trying to communicate with clients, they were really inundated. And shockingly, for the first time, they were open to having us as a firm directly communicating with their clients. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would be the case because uh, clients, especially at the start of the crisis, had so much anxiety, so much fears. We saw that really intense volatility hit the market. Uh, what were you saying to mitigate that fear and and put it in context? Yeah, that's it's a great question. We were actually doing calls every day with a thousand phone lines open at noon. And we did them every day for two weeks, and then we moved to Mondays and Fridays, and then we moved to once a week, and we ended about a week ago now that folks have sort of gravitated towards a new norm. But the messaging was really just updating them on all the noise in the market uh, because there's no shortage of information, but I think there was a shortage of information that the clients could understand, explaining to them what things meant, explaining that when the markets bounced back, this was an, opportun an opportunity to have a conversation with their advisor and determine, do they have enough cash on the sidelines? You know, If we retest the lows, have they replenished the dry powder to give them staying powder if things get difficult again? Uh, we were talking about the some of the craziness and the prices of oil and the elasticity, how rapid uh, uh, how rapid the changes were taking place in pricing, how much the market was moving, and then going back to several weeks ago where it was moving but sort of moving within uh, more reasonable bands and what this meant to them not only from an investment standpoint but from a cash flow and from a financial planning standpoint. Well, I mean, we believe that uh, we probably are not out of the woods in, in regards to volatility, that there's likely another shoe yet to drop as the full economic impact of this crisis uh, hits 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 the public and hits investment markets. Uh, so there's going to be more. What do you think clients are going to be most concerned about uh, as we move forward through this? I think clients who've done the proper financial planning 
can and should be rest assured that what happens in the short term is relatively inconsequential. What they can't do is be selling off in a down market. So to the extent that they've got proper cash reserves, it's uncomfortable to look at their statements. It's uncomfortable to know what their account balances are. Uh, but if they're not sp spending, if they're just dealing with paper losses as opposed to real losses, uh, that we're going to get through this like we've gotten through everything else. The the one thing that's sort of crazy about this is we've been through substantial market downturns. Most of us have been through quite a few in our careers. But then the the, the health scare and the social distancing and the craziness of being in a grocery store and not being able to find bacterial wipes or toilet paper. You know, you've got you've got all these kind of weird things sort of merging together. And I think that's created more anxiety than people are accustomed to in a normal downturn. But at the end of the day, proper planning will pay off. The markets will normalize. To your point, they likely haven't yet because I don't think that the markets have priced in all the complexity and unemployment, all the industries that will be so adversely affected. It seems like there's sort of a false stabilization that nobody really understands why from a macroeconomic standpoint. And you're talking about some of the things that advisors should be talking about with the clients, uh, with their clients, and some of the ones that 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 are in your firm are doing. What are some of the don'ts? You know, some of the things that maybe inexperienced advisors who haven't been through this kind of dislocation previously uh, are, are doing that are that are mistakes that are going to come back. Um, do you have any anything to suggest there? Yeah, when you take a look at market data, when clients leave their advisors, particularly in times of turmoil, they're leaving less because of market fluctuation and account value. They're leaving because of a lack of communication, a lack of human contact, a lack of empathy and advice and coaching. And I think advisors get scared, which is very, very understandable that we don't have answers. We don't know if we're going to retest. Uh, we don't know if all the stimulus is going to do what it was intended to do. But the key is clients want advice they want to hear. The reason that they've paid and the reason that advisors have had an easy life for the last 10 years is the markets have been really cooperative. Uh, but when the markets get challenging, they want that human touch and human advice to console them, to tell them, I don't have the answers. I can't tell you exactly where the markets are headed, but I do know over time that the planning that you've done and that your prudence is going to pay off and we'll weather this storm the same way that we weathered other storms. I think it's just the assurance more than the fact that they have a crystal ball. That's what clients want and need most. So responsiveness and empathy are the keys? I think I think those are two important components. Certainly, they want to feel that there's someone at the helm that's competent, that can make good decisions, whether it's pairing, uh, pairing back or adding risk. Uh, but it's really the conversations, that human aspect of it, that's equally important to the investment advice. I think the clients assume that we're going to be making good investment decisions, but it's how we communicate and guide and hold their hands. Otherwise, absent that, they should be paying a third of what they pay and having a robo-solution if they're not going to get that hand-holding and advice. Jeff, you know, we've gotten to know your firm well, and it's, uh, it's an amazing business that you've built. One of the uh, elements of success of Stratos uh, Wealth Partners, as we see it, is your ability to lead and develop connectivity and productivity and a, a successful culture within your firm. But that's all different in the work from home format. Uh, can you talk about how you're approaching the strategic management and leadership of the of the team uh, in the virtual format? What are the challenges? What are you getting right? What are lessons learned? What are what are things you think you need to uh, continue and to improve upon? No, it's it's a it's a great point, because it's when you end up in a challenging time that you have an opportunity to grow and and do better. Uh, one thing I'll tell you is from a fiscal management standpoint, people have mocked me 
four years that we retained 35% of our earnings since our inception. So when you think about staying power and when you think about building an organization that can survive turbulent times, I'm extremely grateful for the blue collar mentality and for the prudence of having what would seem to be an almost ridiculous amount of cash on hand. Uh, so that's something that I think was very, very beneficial. Uh, connectivity is important. You know, I, I've probably taken for granted that work remote is not the same for everyone. Some of our folks can work remote easily. Uh, others with children and spouses and housing situations have had challenges. Um, you mentioned culture, which is really, really important. I had each of our, de of our department heads, as well as our HR group, reach out to every individual employee and ask, are there any hardships in your family with you or with your spouse? And if so, we wanted to fix those personally, not publicly, not through the firm, but just address those issues, recognizing that these are people that we've relied on for 10 years and we will for another 10. And if we can establish you know, relational goodwill by being there today when they needed us, we wanted to do whatever it took. Um, I had, I mentioned 100 outreaches to our top advisors. We had every department that would be on a video breakfast or a video lunch or a video cocktail hour and just kind of chatting and breaking the ice. And uh, so that was good just to be connected. And I think, you know, we make decisions as a group. That's something that we've always done. I've never felt that we would run our business with a vote of equity, but allowing people to have a say as to when people should come back. We tried to start to bring people back in sort of light workforce in Ohio, at least at our headquarters. People indicated they were still nervous. We postponed that for a couple of weeks. So I think it's just being good listeners being collaborative, being communicative, and caring beyond what's required. You can care at the required level, but at times like this, the more we care for our clients, the more we care for our own people. I think culturally, you you build goodwill that lasts a lifetime. You talk about uh, having a strategic reserve being something that's been tremendously advantageous, and, and I, I think it sounds like a great idea. Can you give us some other insight on how you're deploying some of that capital now? Is it enhancing technology or anything in particular? Uh, what are you doing with that uh, that treasure chest of uh, rainy day funds that you have? Well, for for you know, there have been a number of businesses that we've sort of uncovered in the last couple months uh, outside of our network that didn't have those reserves. Uh, so I would say that we've got a handful of letters of intent that have been generated in the last six weeks to buy minority stakes in firms wow. that are fundamentally great firms, but maybe one and you know you small businesses across every industry let alone our own industry one or two bad quarters and a lot of people aren't uh aren't built for that hmm. so uh we've uh, extended a handful of letters of intent in the last 4 to 6 weeks we're attempting to make it business as usual our folks are uh fully on board obviously there haven't been any layoffs and i think we're just looking at that reserve as a way to make sure that if things get choppy again and i agree with you sterling that they likely may uh, that will be well positioned to endure that. If you think about what the strategy for Stratus is looking forward, what are the key priorities for your team through the balance of this calendar year? Uh, you know, it's interesting that I would say that I don't recall since we launched the firm 11 years ago being any busier in the past than I am today. Mm. I think when we go through periods like this, it gives people a reason to pause and just think about their life, how fulfilled they are, how content they are. Uh, and I think this is oftentimes an impetus for change. So people say, if we get through this or when we get through this, I want to be more autonomous. I want to be more independent. So we've got lots of conversations going on now uh, with advisors that are looking to sort of be breakaways and establish their own firms. 
Uh, I think from a from a uh, succession planning standpoint, there are firms that need a little bit of an influx of capital or others that are later in their careers are saying, I've been through this a handful of times and probably don't want to weather the storm entirely on my own. And I'd like some alignment and support emotionally from a resource standpoint and from an economic standpoint. So we just need to be doing as much or more of the stuff that we've been doing, maybe even just at an accelerated pace. And I'll mention one thing. It seems crazy that someone would actually leave their firm in the midst of this and open a new office. We've had a handful of uh, folks come on board in the last 60 days, Mm. several new offices open. And when I asked the question, almost sort of perplexed, why? The advisors were saying the level of contact we've had with our clients over the last couple months, we feel that our goodwill is as high as it's ever been. We've been holding more hands and educating and consoling and communicating with our clients more than we've ever been. We don't think there's a better time to leave when our goodwill is at its highest point. So very, very interesting perspective and and maybe uh, sort of off the mark of what I would have anticipated. Interesting. So you see unfolding uh, greater inorganic growth opportunities. A hundred, a hundred percent complemented with acceleration on the organic side for firms who either are concerned about weathering the storm if this continues or have just, and this happened in 08 and 09, the average age of a selling advisor dropped by a handful of years as people got beaten up and, you know, they've been clipping coupons and all of a sudden the job got hard again. So, you know, a lot of people are reassessing, I think. What about uh, diving a little deeper into the organic growth opportunity? Advisors that are within your firm now and are are, uh, seeing money in motion or seeing the opportunity to grow their business in the midst of this, what coaching and advice do you give them on the best way to think about that? Yeah, I've I've always found that the most powerful selling occurs when you're not selling. Mm. Um, Ron Carson was just uh, on our podcast recently, and he said that he was having difficulty making outbound calls early in his career. So instead, he just started calling some clients. And when the, when he called the clients with no agenda, just a check-in call, how are you? How are things going? That They were perplexed and kind of talks about the way to deepen relationships and, and gather new assets, gather new clients. I think it just really goes back to that hand-holding. So the advisors who have been most communicative, and some of them are creative. They're not only making individual calls, but they're sending out little video vignettes and emails and newsletters, multiple touches in multiple ways. I think that increases heart share and mind share to bring in new assets, to get referrals. People talk all the time. My my next door neighbor in Florida said he called his broker and was really worried, also had some money on the sideline. He didn't know, do I de-risk? Do I add cash? It took nine days for the broker to return his call. I said, it's absurd. You know, you shouldn't be paying a fee for someone who's not only not proactively reaching out to you, but takes almost two weeks to call you back. So I, I think that communication, to your point, creates opportunities. Whenever there's turmoil, people win and people lose. And the people doing the right things tend to be net winners, net new assets gained. Well, it underscores, as we were talking about earlier, that that need for just total responsiveness right now. If your clients can't get the answers that they want, we've heard stories there, they're going to move. Uh, and I think that's going to continue to accelerate as mediocre advisors are, are not able to adapt to the situation. I couldn't agree more. Let's talk a little bit about uh, that client in Florida who uh, was calling and saying, uh, should I add cash right now? Should I be more defensive? Uh, what is your opinion of where we are in the midst of this market turmoil? You know, I think it's I think it's time horizon driven. So um, I talked to my son, who's a young investor, and my daughter. And 
They ask about money that they've had on the sidelines that they've been saving from their jobs. And I think it's a function of timeline. For someone who doesn't have any need for money for 10 years, we've had multiple buying opportunities. If you've missed those, the market's trading in a relatively tight band now. There's been less opportunity in the last month. But if you're someone who believes we're going to retest lows, uh, I think dry powder is a good thing. I've bought in a couple times additionally with some of my own funds. I tend to be a really conservative investor myself the way the way that I run the business conservatively, whether that be retained earnings, whether that be my own portfolio, which for my age, it's absurd that I've been essentially 50-50 cash slash ultra short, you know, fixed income versus equities, 50-50. And I probably went to 60-40 again, which is ridiculously conservative, but that's my mindset. So I think we've had opportunities for folks to buy in. It's not a bad time to buy in now. The market is still down, but I think I'd be sitting back patiently. And I do agree with you that whether or not we retest lows, I don't think the market's properly priced for everything that we've seen, felt, and experienced at this point. If someone has a long time horizon, I think it's not imprudent to be uh, adding some risk at this point. Two areas on that I want to dive in a little deeper. One is around uh, fixed income. We've been hearing from a lot of advisors that are uh, completely revisiting that portion of the portfolio uh, to pull it back, start over again, reallocate, think about how they're making decisions within the bond market right now. Are, are you doing any of that or uh, kind of repositioning of fixed income portfolios in light of all that we've been through? Yeah, because there's a learning there as well, right? I mean, there, people think about you know non-correlated assets. Well, unfortunately, the traditional asset classes for a long time now have been a lot more correlated than they have not. So fixed income didn't perform. Certain asset classes that were supposed to be uh, quite defensive didn't do what they were supposed to do or didn't have liquidity or got marked down or took hits that they that they shouldn't have. So I think a lot of advisors were concerned that they're fixed income solutions, at least the way that they thought about them traditionally, didn't give them the buffer that they wanted to. So I think the shorter answer is absolutely yes. We've seen many of our more savvy investor advisors rethinking fixed income and uh, what role they want that to play. Is Does yield or return really matter? Or are we really looking for safety and security and less concerned uh, about the type of return that we're getting in an environment like this. So I, I agree with you completely. What about alts? Uh, one of the things that we were looking at months before this crisis, be- crisis began is uh, just as the late stage of the bull market was impacting the business, uh, we saw less of an allocation toward uh, traditional alternative vehicles that should have provided that that uh, uncorrelated asset class exposure. But yet, advisors weren't putting enough client money in alts. Uh, what's your what's your thinking on that? I know you have a lot of different advisors that approach it in different ways, uh, but are advisors doing enough to educate clients on the value of diversification beyond fixed income and equity? You know, it's funny. I think as a as a population, we get lazy. When things get easy and when equities spoil us and sort of tracking the indexes pays massive rewards, we forget about the importance of diversification and holding non-correlated assets. And to your point, you know, uh, what's the best solve in the fixed income realm or, or uh, to what extent are we incorporating alternatives? And then I think we need to defend our position because clients look at the index, they'll look at the S&P and they'll, and they'll say, well, why are we why, are, why aren't we tracking? And the reasons we, we're not supposed to be tracking in a straight up market, obviously that's, that looks good, but the markets aren't always straight up. And it's the addition of thoughtful fixed income, the addition of alts and all those things that buffer them. So we have to be held accountable over a long period of time. If we try to have ourselves measured or try to compete on a, on a short term, we're going to make bad decisions. So I don't think advisors as a whole have used some of those asset classes, including alts, 
in a proper fashion. And sometimes they allow clients to pressure them or they allow themselves to be held accountable to a standard that's not the right standard, even though it may seem like a fair benchmark. A diversified benchmark is always going to help provide better insulation in times like this. And I do, do think that many advisors have oversimplified and probably not incorporated alternative investments in the way that they should to buffer environments like this. We agree. Jeff, we've talked about managing markets, managing teams, and, and uh, managing client emotions and anxiety. What do you think are going to be some of the uh, ways that this crisis will alter the business permanently? When we look back on, on this phase years from now, uh, what will be the lasting impact of the COVID crisis on the wealth management industry? Do you think? I think there are. I think there are a lot of impacts from a personal, from a business, and from a market standpoint. Uh, we're in the process of investing in a firm in Pennsylvania now, who just built out a beautiful new headquarters, uh, and they said if they had any idea how happy they would be working remotely or how effective their staff would be, they never would have increased their overhead in the way that they did. Mm. So I think people are recognizing that they can be quite functional on a remote basis. It's not that they wouldn't want to have an office, but maybe, you know, uh, from a P&L standpoint, they've allocated more to overhead or real estate than they would have. Uh, I think to your point, as investors, we'll remember for a while until we forget to remember and we get sloppy or lazy again, the importance of alternative investments and thoughtful fixed income and having you know, proper hedges in, in portfolios. And I think for a while now, there's been sort of a new norm in terms of expectations. What people talk about from a financial planning standpoint, the rate of return that I and many advisors used to put into portfolios 25 years ago is different than what it was 10 or 15 years ago. And it's different than today. The rate of income that we're willing to distribute uh, without making people feel like their principal is going to be at risk. Those numbers have come down and the blended total rates of return people should expect over time have come down. So hopefully there'll be a greater degree of conservatism. Uh, hopefully, we will remember that things aren't always good and markets can be complex as we manage portfolios, as we think about cash on the sidelines. We'll be better financial planners. We'll be better advisors. And I think there's a personal side to it, too. You know, I've had my son and daughter under our roof a couple times for extended periods of time that we wouldn't have otherwise. And I can't tell you that I don't remember the last time I smiled like that with both of them in their rooms and working remote and I think people will relish the family time. And I think at times like this, it helps us to focus on what really matters. Business matters, but only you know to a certain extent, right? It's the personal relationships and family and health. Uh, and it, it's unfortunate that we take those things for granted unless we're given cause to not take them for granted. So I think there've been some learnings about general business, about markets, and maybe even just about our own personal lives and the health that we take for granted so much. Yeah, that's well said. And and you do believe, as as we do, that this is going to usher in a period of accelerated consolidation in the industry. Yeah, very very much so. Um, not not all necessarily for bad reasons. I mean, there's a place. I've always debated with some of my friends in the industry that small practitioners can make it, but only the most thoughtful ones. So I use the analogy, if you're running a small private practice uh medical practice, it's not a bad thing to have an affiliation with the Cleveland Clinic. People like that boutique feel, but if they know that things get really complicated, they want to know that you've got more resources behind you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be true in the wealth management space. There'll be room for small private practices to, to do okay, but only the most thoughtful ones. And a lot of folks who've been coasting for 10 years, they haven't retired, but they're really not fully engaged in the business. Those people will accelerate their exits. 
So I think there'll be a lot of change. It's not necessarily bad change, uh, but I do think there'll be consolidation. There are more and more firms, if, and you probably know these stats better than I do, but I suspect the number of RIAs has been increasing. It's, mm-hmm. it, so it's less consolidation, it's more concentration, but fewer and fewer firms are ending up with greater and greater amounts of assets that they're amassing. And I do think that that trend will continue and this will accelerate it. Jeff, you've given us a lot to a lot to think about. We appreciate it. Can I ask you to close in, in uh, Barron's traditional fashion by offering a, a an idea, a single high conviction idea for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think there's anything earth shattering or any epiphanies here. But I think what I would say, I've always viewed the world in a different way. I think in our industry, we talk about uh, assets under advisement or assets under management, and the markets and you know clients will bring them to us and they'll take them away. It's relationships under advisement or relationships under man- under management that matter most, not assets. And the more we think about the business in an intimate way and the more we think about clients personally and the more we understand what drives them and what motivates them and what their fears are, that personal connection, the assets take care of themselves. So uh, I, and I think that what's going on now is it is given us a chance in my case to relate more closely, more personally, more intimately with our own stakeholders internally and with our advisors. And to the extent that the smart ones do the same with their clients, they'll connect with them in a way that will uh, bring great, great dividends for them in the long haul. It's focus, focus on the personal relationships inside of our family, our friendships and our business. And I think that we'll have a much richer, deeper success long term. Well, I, I think that's great and a key point. And uh, if you let me, I'll paraphrase it to make it even all the more actionable. You might be recommending that advisors uh, assess and assign themselves a score on the quality of their relationships under management rather than focusing purely on the on the AUM or in addition to. Well said, buddy. Well yeah. said. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate your insights. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another newsletter and episode of The Way Forward. Stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.